This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Just uh, finished a wonderful day and a half session here with folks from Santa Barbara Zen Center. Yesterday we had a talk given by... O'Hara Roshi from Village Zendo in Manhattan. And um, she talked about something I was going to talk about a little bit. (laughs) And she talked about the Bodhisattva never disparaging. So there is this Bodhisattva that's talked about in chapter 20 of the Lotus Sutra who uh, no matter who the person was, would bow and honor each person, no matter what station or place or quality of existence. And he was ridiculed for being so generous in never disparaging anyone. In the translation of the record of Dongshan uh, that was translated by our own Bill Powell. Thank you, Bill. In, in that record, um, I think it's from the ninth century. Approximately. Uh-huh. Is case 18 that relates to this topic. When the master took leave, Nan Yuan said, make a thorough study of the Buddha Dharma and broadly benefit the world. And the master said, I have no question about studying the Buddha Dharma but what is it to broadly benefit the world? And Nan Yuan said, not to disregard a single being, not to disregard a single being. Now, um, there's a little difference between disparaging and disregarding. Because disparaging, you're belittling, you're undervaluing, underrating another being. To disregard is also to forget, to overlook, to set aside, to be indifferent to or not pay attention. And so when Nan Yuan said to not disregard a single being, Um, we are surrounded and consumed by beings, including the microbes within us, the mitochondria, the other microbes in our digestive system. We have also outside of us, as you so eloquently gave in, in the dedication for the meal about the organisms in the soil that are absorbed in, that help bring nutrients into the roots of all plants and help them manifest who they are as they rise and shine in the, in the sunlight. So to disparage or to, to not disparage and to not disregard How do we go about that? And you can say, well, it's quite easy. You just don't disparage and you don't disregard. You just pay attention. That sounds pretty easy. But Shariputra, um, who was one of the Buddha's senior disciples, he was many years, I think a decade or two older than, than Shakyamuni Buddha. And uh, he and his best friend, 
uh, we're princes and uh, loved having a good time and putting on a party. And the story goes that they had a party one time that was going to last for days. And they brought all these people in to have a good time and they were having a pretty good time. But then Shari Putra says to his friend, he says, you know, I guess I'm having a good time, but there's, there's got to be more than this. And they heard about Shakyamuni, Shakyamuni Buddha and went and to study with him and he became one of his senior scholars. He passed away before the Buddha. And so Shariputra uh, has a discourse on the five ways of putting an end to anger. When we disparage or disregard, I know this personally, you know, usually there's an edge within me, a bite, an anger that is why I am not paying attention. It might be just ignorance is why I'm not paying attention, but it also might be an intentional disregard, which is um, actually can be hurtful. And so um, I found that there in, in these five ways, there are some methods that might be useful to us. So the five conditions he has that Shariputra presents is uh, where a person, uh, where uh, someone whose bodily actions are not kind, but whose words are kind. If you feel anger toward that person, but you are wise, you will know how to meditate. To, in order to put an end to that, to your anger. The second situation is someone whose words are not kind, but whose bodily actions are kind, and how to put an end to your anger. The third method is when you see someone whose bodily actions and words are not kind, but there is still a little kindness in their heart, that you, you, there's a method. The fourth method is about the situation where a person's bodily actions, words, and heart are not kind. You can't find kindness in it. And what do you do? And the fifth situation is where a person's words are kind, a person's bodily actions are kind, a person's heart is kind, and yet you are still angry. What do you do? So uh, today I'm gonna choose one of these methods and go a little deeper about it. And I'm going to address this, the second method where where the bodily actions are kind, where the words are not kind, and how do we meditate? How do we approach to put an end to our anger? And Shariputra says, when someone whose words are not kind, but whose bodily actions are kind, do not pay attention to the words. Only be attentive to his bodily actions in order to be able to put an end to your anger. Only pay attention to the person's words. And the example he uses to describe this goes like this. My friends say that not far from the village, there is a deep lake. And the surface of the lake is covered with algae and grass. There is someone who comes near that lake who is very thirsty, suffering greatly from the heat. He takes off his clothes, jumps into the water, and using his hands to clear away the algae and grasses, 
enjoys bathing and drinking the cool water of the lake. It is the same, my friends, with someone whose words are not kind, but whose bodily actions are kind. Do not pay attention to that person's words, but only be attentive to his bodily actions in order to be able to put an end to your anger. Someone who is wise should practice in this way. So he uses, Shariputra uses this metaphor of this lake and someone coming and taking off their clothes, jumping in the lake, moving away the grasses and algae and, and immerses themselves in the cool, deep, dark water. Likewise, with someone whose words are kind and whose bodily actions are not, we can dive into the situation and push aside the, the unkind words, the unkind deeds, and drink deeply of the words, the kind words, the kindness, the deep kindness in this person. And I like this metaphor of a lake because it goes deep and it gets dark. And when we connect deeply with another, we can experience what is behind all of the grasses and algae and impurities that we are constantly pointing out to ourselves and to others. In Zen, it is said that this practice is most intimate. Now, what is meant by that intimacy is not a personal int intimacy, but an impersonal, a non-personal intimacy. When we look deeply into the situation and can see the causes and conditions of what is arising in another, we are able to most intimately connect with that person. When um, Kobenchino Odagawa Roshi was, was famous for this, of um, passing through an airport on his way to go to an event, a uh, sashin, in another town and he saw a young woman crying and he went over to her to console her and connect with her and take care of that situation to help her suffering. They missed their flight, but he took best care in that situation. So um, this is one method of um, how we do not disparage or disregard is to, to, to push aside the, um, the ugly that may be prominent in our mind and find, find the jewels, find the, the essence of, um, of the purity that's there. An, another teacher connected uh, with us is uh, at Santa Cruz Zen Center is Jean Bush. And um, I'm gonna share a little bit, Jean, if you ever hear about this, of what he told me about his experience in teaching. I asked him, so you've taught? What, what level did you teach? Well, he's taught from kindergarten through college age people. And he said the one characteristic of his practice that he implemented while a teacher was he didn't, he didn't have um, issues with, with order or having to reprimand people. The way that he dealt with this with it is he found something positive that each student was doing and acknowledged it. And through that acknowledgement of you did a nice job on that problem, that's a, that's a great picture. 
that I like the lines that you have there. That's very well developed. There was collegiality that de developed in a, in his classroom to um, that that uh, no matter where they were, they the kids started working together and and um, supporting each other and seeing, oh, you did that. Oh, my gosh. You know, and so that kind of action of finding the pure in in the action, what made him an excellent teacher while he was a school teacher and makes him an excellent teacher as a Zen master now. So um, are there any thoughts or questions right now that anybody has? And then. Um, sometimes it's, you might take your lifetime to find that. Sometimes they're, um, not inclined and move towards that. They're caught up and they're suffering. You just patiently wait. Do you, do you find it? Just in the nature of their existence, the fact that they're a being, that you know it's there, you just know it's there, and you just wait and wait and wait. Good question. And that brings me to method number four, <laughs> which is exquisite. So uh, this is the case where the words, the bodily deeds, and the heart. It's hard to find any kindness there. And Shariputra says, my friend, suppose there is someone on a long journey who falls sick. He is alone, completely exhausted, and not near any village. He falls into despair, knowing that he will die before completing his journey. If at that point, someone comes along and sees this man's situation, she or he immediately takes the man's hand and leads him to the next village where she takes care of him, treats his illness, makes sure he has everything he needs by way of clothes, medicine, and food. Because of this compassion and loving kindness, the man's life is saved. So my friends, when you see someone whose words, bodily actions are not kind and in whose heart there is nothing that can be called kindness, give rise to this thought. Someone whose words and bodily actions are not kind and in whose heart is nothing that can be called kindness is someone who is undergoing great suffering. Unless he or she meets a good spiritual friend, there will be no chance for, for him or her to transform and go to realms of happiness. So there are times where we can become spiritual friends. Now, there might be other situations where people are really difficult. <laughs> and maybe sociopaths or psychopaths who are not reflective, how do you become a spiritual friend there? And Shariputra does not address that. <laughs> so does anyone here have any ideas? I'm all ears. Yes, Kaveh. It's not my idea. Trump or Impulse should be created that the master who was friends of Kovacina, but the answer may not be Kovacina. Might not be conventional. Trungpa's answer may not be conventional. What is his answer? He said he's, it's about the tender heart of a warrior fighter. He says sometimes the tender heart to protect the well being of the whole 
protect the well with a tender heart to protect the well-being of the whole which may not just be that person but the conditions around yes yeah yeah that makes really good sense and um maybe some of you have been through some of these situations of uh how do you how do you take best care in the situation of unkind words or unkind actions or um, no kindness in the heart? And um, I think there are some people here who probably have figured this, some of these methods out already without even studying much Buddhism, but they study this existence and see how it works. And um, what you said feels true to me in a situation I am intimately familiar with where taking care of being kind and tender to the conditions around helped the situation evolve in a healthy way for all beings that, yeah. Thank you, Kai. James? Yeah, I think what comes up for me when I think about if there's someone like that through that person, I find I learn something about myself. Bring the compassion if I can move through that and help myself. Just that's what no matter how difficult someone is. So to repeat what you said, um, that in this in the situation like that, that by um, exhibiting compassion yourself and taking care of yourself, that it actually helps the situation um, and and may even transform it. Is that correct? Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. I have a question. Yeah. Yes? Um, what if the, the anger is, is to yourself for having been unkind in your action The question was what happens when you are unkind to yourself because of your own actions. Is that correct? Yeah, I think about it as um, when I went from unkind to somebody, and I later reflect on it, I get very angry at myself for it. And that anger sometimes propels me to do you know, the same thing that I, I, I was angry at myself for origin. Right, so what's what's a good way to maybe counsel yourself for that? So to what's the best way to take care of yourself when you're not kind to yourself? Well, um, to we. I know that well of being angry with myself of like um, not saying thank you or not, not acknowledging somebody. And it's like, why was I in such a hurry? And I, you know, so yeah, we naturally reflect and we can um, recognize our actions, but also in that recognition of the action we're actually meeting it. And if you stay in that met place, then it becomes a vortex of uh, self-recrimination. And I, there I did it again. And it might be valuable at that point to recognize actually our own impermanence. As we chanted today um, in, the Thich Nhat Hanh's version of the Heart Sutra, 
we have the six sense organs, the six sense objects, and the six sense consciousnesses, that there is no self, there is no fixed identity in any of them. And so our sense of who we are, if we are holding on to that as a bad person, we're actually holding, attaching to something that is impermanent, ethereal. And if you can let that go and say, oh, okay, back to now in this present moment. So I'll work to not do that again. Um, and I'll practice kindness from here on. And, and uh, the, uh, we, we get into these habitual patterns of self um, flagellation, self uh, criticism that uh, in a way it's, it's almost a safe place because we're, we're retracted, we're pulled within and it's like, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, being a, one of those kind of people again. And, and so in a way, by, by um, re receding into that cocoon, it's almost a safer place, even though it's terrifying because of what we've done and how we're treating ourselves. And yet to, to borrow widely from each of you, I learned from everybody, so pardon me. <laughs> Is to reconnect with the connection that exists. We are always connected with each other, with, with what's around us. And when we remember the connection between, perhaps we can then say, yes, take care of this now. There is no other time than this moment. There isn't. Somebody bring me five minutes ago. Come on. Where is it? Or the future where it's all an imagination of where it is. And all, all that actually exists is this moment right now. We are the summation of the gene pools of countless beings, not just human, but all our other ancestors, we are currently the culmination of it in this instant. We are, we are the summation of what can exist as our being and how are we taking best care. When we remember our connections with other beings, including the microorganisms in the soil, and we take care of them, are, we're taking care of ourselves. There's, um, uh, in the Julmir Samadhi, um, one, of the stand, one of the lines is, you are not it. You are not the universe. It is completely you. The universe is completely each one of us. And when we, when we think we are God, we are it, uh, we miss the mark. But when we recognize that this existence is us, then we can rest in that deep connection with this existence. And that's pretty intimate. Karn? I was, I was just thinking about the question where uh, when, when it falls outside the categories that, that Shariputra has defined, that you cannot find the kindness in the actions, the, in the bodily actions, in the words, and in the heart. And so what do you do? So, so I think like that is a, um, that is a situation similar to being uh, confronted with something which, which is 
which we are scared of or we are incapable of handling or we think we might be incapable of handling but that could also be uh, an opportunity to trust um, to trust that that even that situation can be handled as an example that came to my mind was like if there's a snake in the house or or there is a lion in the village our um, our our natural reaction is to kill the snake and kill kill the lion but but we could choose to do something which is in the interest of the snake and the lion without uh, hurting anybody else similar to if a serial killer is um, is out there in society maybe death sentence is not the best way to deal with the serial killer to to give him an opportunity but then so let's so that is that is the default i i agree that like there is not one reaction when it doesn't fall in those categories and i guess the answer is in the situation to trust emergence because because that serial killer or that snake or that lion or that that individual could be at a point where i said might be right yes thank you were you able to hear anybody able to hear online the question no okay so um karen uh, brought up the situation of um this this fourth situation that uh, nenzen also brought up about uh uh no kindness in bodily actions or in in words or or in kindness of heart and what do you do if there is a a snake in the house or a lion in the village or a ser ser serial killer in our midst that what do we do and i think i heard you propose that you that the way to uh, approach this is through the uh, trusting emergence, the trusting emergence of what's arising in this moment, and uh, that perhaps the insights or the options by uh, being in that place of trusting emergence um, provides an array uh, of responses. And yes, yes to that. Thank you, Karn. Absolutely. I just want to thank Karn. I just want to see thank Karn for what he just said. Uh, I think what I said can be very problematic for human beings to to think that they're in a position to defend their heart because I think that I'm looking at inside my own inside myself and for me it would be a very dangerous thing to consider myself in a position to judge and with a tender heart, so-called help another being to protect the whole. So I don't want to put that out because I don't want to have the consequences of that <laughs> suggestion. But for some of the Trump people who said that, that's different. I can't express it, but he's not, he's not looking at his, his own filters, his own delusion to make that assessment. He's seeing it clearly. So anyway, I just want to say that I didn't want to, I'd like to withdraw my last comment and go with what Karn said. Okay. <laughs> Done. So, uh, yes. There's a category in the Buddhist tradition from the earliest called the Ichantaka, mm -hmm. who is, and the translation that we can give it in English is, is the irreparable person. <laughs> for whom nothing can be done and no teaching can change. 
and that was a strong view for a long time until about the third century. And the notion of Buddha nature appeared in the, in the Nirvana Sutra. It was a new sutra connected with China. And it said, even the Ichantaka has Buddha nature. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, how do you deal with that? And we're back to Shariputra's question, what do you do? But I thought your first, I love Dungshan, I thought your first comment was you pay attention. Mm -hmm. And you may not be able to respond immediately, mm -hmm. but at least you're, you're attending. Mm -hmm. I just, your talk, I, you know, I didn't understand that number 618 that you read before. First time I've understood it. I translated it, what's he talking about? <laughs> Uh, and now that this has come up, so well, maybe that's there's something in that. It's not a complete answer. It has to be developed, I suppose, mm -hmm. meditated on. It just it just as you as you put those two together. Yes. So the ichatakara, ichantaka, ichantataka. ichantaka, ichantaka are the irreparable. Just the the irreparables. Uh, many of you may. Know this, there's some people that uh, felt were, were just not getting it, not uh, paying attention, not being appropriate, and con were considered that they uh, would not realize the Buddha way. But in the third century, uh, the notion of Buddha nature arose, or the orig our original nature in a more non-denominational uh, uh, way. Uh, that each being has their original nature. And so they're to remember that even with those that we think are, um, uh, cannot be helped, um, they still need to be fed and housed and clothed. They need, you know, and, and if you're in close proximity to be careful of their, area and the, the influence they have and the people that are around them, if they are harming other people, you know, what do you do to, to stop that other than to pay attention, to um, see what naturally the trust emergence of, of the situation that um, uh, going back to this, this pond uh, or this lake, this fellow jumped into to scoot away the grasses and the, and the algae. It's a deep, dark waters, which each of us has of our true nature. And, and to um, allow the trust emergence to come out of that is, is um, that's what takes practice. And maybe that's why we're here you know, is, is to uh, practice in this practice, we begin to trust ourselves. And actually the only way to be on the path is to fully trust yourself. You know, you can try and trust a teacher, you can trust your friends, you can trust your parents, you can trust, but really what comes down to is each of us has to trust ourselves. And the only way you can learn to trust yourselves is to know how you work, how you operate, how you function, how your mind works. Know what your preferences are, know what your shortcomings are. Our shortcomings are often are actually their assets. For a guy like me, uh, someone described me with that I have ADD, attention deficit disorder. I'm always going sideways. Well, um, 15,000 years ago when mammoths lived in this valley, guys like me were, were necessary because it's like, oh, there's something over there. Oh my God, you know, let's go, let's go, let's get going. You know, it's like going sideways to go forward. And so there, there is a biological, maybe a cultural um, a reason for some of these tendencies that we have. And so um, uh, there are no mammoths or uh, mastodons to go hunt anymore. So I can't get you to go with me anywhere. But there are, so, so the, the methods of um, going on a hunt or, or participating in a project, you know, basically that's the hunt that we each get to engage in as a project. 
we get to um, to approach it with, um, I, I get to work with this uh, tendency that I have and it, and it's wonderful because it, uh, it's very, it's unique to me. Uh, I mean, each per person's unique, but I, I can find my way through, through these difficulties. And uh, sometimes I can't, and, and it requires help from the outside. And uh, here I sit in this teacher position, but just know that each one of you is a teacher and each one of you will be a teacher in the future. It is just what happens. Um, maybe not this lifetime or maybe multiple times in this lifetime or maybe just in a moment, but we just to take best care, to wholeheartedly meet our life and, and um, to wholeheartedly meet our life is, is a term that Kadagiri Roshi used um, when I studied with him nearly 50 years ago. Mike and I studied with him in, in Minnesota. And, and yet uh, wholehearted practice actually requires community. Um, I have to learn through my uh, connections with others. That's the only way I can learn. And when I'm inattentive to somebody, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I've just learned something. And when I react that way, oh my God, I was inattentive. You know, I can beat up on myself, but I can also say, okay, it's a friendly reminder, pay attention. And, and take best care from here on. Maybe an apology is useful or maybe not um, in that moment. But it is vital that we are kind to ourselves. So um, if you find that you're not kind to yourselves, to yourself, um, maybe that's where it's important to get some help. You know, through introspection, through therapy, through um, sangha, um, many different ways. Um, this practice of zazen meditation that we do, where we sit and face a wall and to meet ourselves upright. We sit upright like the wall. We, we meet this blank screen in front of us and it's like, you know, why am I here looking at this wall? What are these people doing here looking at a wall? But maybe some of you, if this is your first time when you sit and, and look at that wall, you actually saw what's going on in your mind. Usually we don't see what's going on in our mind. I mean, we kind of know what's going on because it's like, oh man, why is that guy in front of me going so slow? Well, we're not even paying attention. We're thinking about that guy in front of us instead of saying, oh, I'm irritated with the guy in front of me. That's turning the light within and saying, oh, Okay, so in a moment, I'll be in his place and somebody else will be where I just was and maybe they're upset with me. And so you just drop it and see the ridiculousness of, of some of our mental wanderings. Yes, Rain. Yeah, this is really good. Um, I work with employees sometimes and um, I had a worker that sometimes I think it's good that you call them on it, like if they're being, mm -hmm. you know, difficult. So I said, you know, that's the second time today that you disappointed me. She turned to me and she goes, what was the first time? <laughs> and it was just so great that you just let it go. You know, we just like, because she, they don't, they're, they're, sometimes you think common sense, but people do are in their own world and they're, and, and they're clueless. So I thought that was so great. That it's like, well, what was the first time? <laughs> you know. Did you all hear that? From Rain? Yeah, good. Any questions online here? Yes, Laura. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, to go back to that idea of attentiveness with a with a very with a difficult or <laughs> uh, aggressive personality. And I, I definitely agree with the attentiveness and having to pay attention. But in my experience, that personality thrives off of the energy we provide them. 
they need an audience they need they they need themselves to be acknowledged uh and they have expectations about how their behavior is going to affect someone else and how that person is going to behave and respond to them and for me i i i guess i kind of split focus many i've split focus in the past that i i'm very attentive but i choose not to give my energy into that source and not to feed that condition and not to do the expected because if you can change the dance you can change the outcome and if you it's through repetition we 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 tend to repeat behaviors that never get us out of a cycle we just stay in that cycle whereas changing your approach and in my case it would be directing energy maybe to the person another person they've injured and that's that person receives my energy the person who did the injuring i keep an eye out on them but i don't feed them and i don't know what your thoughts are about that approach yes thank you laura uh everyone here heard that i think okay um to not uh feed the situation uh Generally, uh, what um, uh, to take the contrary position of where people, uh, uh, you know, in order the the uh, Coben's approach to compassion was that um, being compassionate to another is to go at this their same speed. when our speeds are not conjoined, it's hard to go deep. You're talking about another situation where, where uh, the situation is um, someone who's abusive or aggressive and to uh, how to deal with that situation um, there's uh, a technique in running um, in track that I've heard where uh, you know typically racers are running at the same rate. Their their strides, their pacing keeps each other going, and one way to uh, disrupt that. Uh, is to change your your pace, change your your stride, um, and it throws the the situation out, and it changes the dynamic. And it sounds like that's what you're suggesting here, uh, Laura, of uh, not feeding into it, but uh, having a different approach. Um, not meeting the pace of the person that's engaged and just um, by that disruption, maybe it gives some, uh, uh, perhaps the person that you're engaged with also then recognizes that it isn't in a flow, it's, in a, it's different. And, there might be actually some reflection. Maybe there is a possibility for reflection in that by them to say, oh, um, uh, I wanna get on the same page. I wanna be in harmony. I want to connect because it feels better to have that goal. And so it forces a change in what arises next. Is that, yeah, good, yes. good approach. Very good. Thank you for that. That's a, that's very good. Todd. 
echo just uh, two words that primarily seem to be used. Boil it down to uh, response and reaction. So how, do, how does one respond? Reaction is hardwired for a reason to survive from fear. We survive to this point because of fear and then reaction. Uh, and you use the word reflective. These are these are things that Presendo uh, cultivates. They present no cultivates. Presendo cultivates this possibility mm. and deepens that water you're talking about by I don't know what you could say, count to 10, count to three, before you react. Mm -hmm. That's not easy because if we are survived. We have been able to survive because of that, that fear. So it's extremely important. We couldn't survive without fear. And that's a huge part of what we're talking about is fear and all the multifaceted ways in which it manifests. Fear of body, same identification of body. This is one of the greatest things here in the Zendo. It's not a prayer in our cerebral, it deals directly with body and mind. This is the greatness of practice. So there's a total tie to that. And also, what came to mind, I think it was a Dalai Lama or some video I saw about infants. Infants, uh, very young infants, they reach out. To other infants when they are hurt. And I think the Dalai Lama, and then but there's this basic two, two words of creation and destruction. This is ubiquitous to everyone. Mm -hmm. Sexual reproduction, creation, destruction, sexual reproduction, Epicurus. So these are the, this is the way that it is. You know? So we have this great ability, really incredible print of Picasso. A little boy with a light going down into a very dark place, beautiful, and illuminates the corners of this dark space. So we have this great ability to cultivate response. Thank you. Were were you able to hear much of what? Uh, no. <clears throat> So uh, Todd, Todd talked about the, the natural situation as organisms that we rely on fear and our uh, reactions uh, when fear arises in us are, are quite um, deeply set in our body-mind, deeply set in our bodies, the fear reactions are that this practice also provides an opportunity to reflect and, and look at those reactions and instead of react and maybe respond in a way. And I think that comes through our ability to um, see our fears, that when we take the cushion and we can see, see the fears, as they are, perhaps we're also able to uh, see deeper into what it, what they mean in us, what they mean externally, um, and in reflecting on that, um, maybe naturally some some other uh, ways of responding arise. Uh, I know many many times of. Uh, uh, feeling anger and taking the cushion and uh, just just feeling the anger and and not being able to figure it out and still being angry when I left and but but um, anger also carries with it um, a lot of chemistry internally and. Um, it takes days, maybe weeks, for some of that chemistry to stabilize. And I, I, sometimes you have to go through these things a uh, thousand times, a hundred thousand times, but the thousand and one or hundred thousand and first time, it's like, 
wait a second, I've been doing this so, so many times. Is it, isn't there another way to go about this? I want this to stop. So even that is a change because you're saying, I, I, I'm noticing how this behavior is reoccurring again and again, and it's time to do something about it. So that, that, is a, that opens another gate, another doorway to, um, on the path that we each take. We don't know where the path goes. Each of us, our paths are different, and we each have to take our own steps on our own paths. We're here to help each other along. That's all we can do. We each have to figure it out ourselves. You can't have somebody else ever figure it out for you. You get some counsel and then you try to make it your own. I know, and growing up, uh, I was, uh, I'd hear some, you're doing it this way? I, that's, that's the right way for you? I'm going to do it that way too. And so I do it their way. I, I take it on. And after a while, it's like, it doesn't really work for me. So what is my way? So we, it's, this is total experimentation, ungraspable experimentation where we just get to see what we're doing and, and uh, take best care. We still have time for a question or two, comment or two. If anyone has anything? Yes, Carolyn. So what Todd um, just said and what you um, brought in after that just reminded me of this phrase I heard from uh, one of my teachers um, at, a very, at a long, long retreat. And it said, he said, well, at a certain point, it's like you're driving down the freeway and you just realize you don't have to take that exit. So once you, so it's the next beyond, once you reflect and realize and see how deep it is, you have a choice, you have agency. Mm. And as you said, um, you know, it may not, you may still take that exit. But just uh, you can remind yourself that you don't have to take that mm -hmm. Did anyone hear hear uh, Carolyn's remark? Uh, she she uh, mentioned that um, one of her teachers um, suggested that um, this, like what uh, Todd was talking about, of reacting. That uh, it's like driving down the freeway. And um, you know the way well enough that maybe you could decide not to take that exit this time. And you have agency. We have agency in this practice to uh, take, do what um, um, maybe naturally arises in us. And when we see what arises in us, we can see, ah, that is fear-based what's arising in me, or this is jealousy-based in me, or this is uh, irritation-based or frustration-based. And in that moment, um, and this is something I'm still working on a lot, is, is being able to stop there, rest there, and, and see this frustration in me and feel it in me. Hogan is one person who here is, uh, some of you know Hogan here, and he has been a real teacher for me because he, he gets irritated and then he says, so I stopped and I felt in my body where I was feeling irritated and these other thoughts came to mind. And he didn't just, because of the irritation, didn't go do the thing that was asked to be done or whatever, so it, he dealt with that irritation only and how it felt in his body and that it didn't feel good to him. And he wants to feel good. So I want to take care of this irritation before there's plenty of time to take care of all this other stuff. I mean, we're all stardust in this current state of where we are. So it's just fine as it is. <laughs> Unmade beds, dirty windows. Yeah. leaves everywhere it's just all of it's fine <laughs> until it's not 
and then we take care of it. Because there are some special beings around here, like Jerome says, you know, this would really look sweet having this all dressed up over here. Would you please take care of that? And it's like, of course. <laughs> to how do you have a joyful existence? Uh, it's hard to do it alone. We need each other's help. And we also need, um, you know, it's nice when people can be straight with each other too. Um, it's hard. It's hard to know sometimes what's going on unless people speak up. But anyway, that keeps us all going and in the soup of troubles to find our way. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.